Hello again and welcome to another edition of the Hokies Press Pass Podcast. This is Andy Bitter, the Virginia Tech football beat writer for the Roanoke Times. We're giving Aaron McFarlane a break this week to bring in a special guest, uh, the recently retired longtime NFL kicker Shane Graham uh, joins us on the podcast this week, former Hokies kick- kicker. Shane, thanks for joining us. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Uh, well, you retired recently from the NFL, parts of 15 NFL seasons, uh, kicked for 10 teams. Uh, more than that, I think, when you count tryouts and things like that. Uh, 2005 Pro Bowl player for the Cincinnati Bengals, where you spent the longest portion of your career. Uh, why now? Why retire now when it seems like uh, the NFL is always looking for kickers, even on a short-term basis? Uh, why do you decide to, to hang them up now? Well... You know, it's not always your own decision to retire. You know, we'd love to all pull a Peyton Manning or John Elway and win a Super Bowl and just ride out right off into the sunset. But uh, the way it works for me or, or for a lot of guys is, you know, I, I'm 39 years old and teams in the past had always, you know, called on me when their players got hurt or when they wanted to you know, change a, change a player out that wasn't performing well enough or whatever. But typically when they look to change out a player and bring in someone that's going to be like a transition into a new person, they're looking for longevity. And when you start reaching 39, the, the situations that they'll bring you in for start to become limited. Uh, really the only situation, you know, would have worked out this past season for me was if a team thought they were a playoff contender or wasn't a playoffs, one or the other, and they wanted an established veteran with experience. But it seemed that the way it worked, that whenever a team made a change or whatever injuries happened throughout the season, there was either too much time left in the year to get it just to go after a young guy and then there really were no injuries late in the season to any teams that had uh, playoff aspirations. So it, it really just, I, I never found that window that I needed last year. So if I've gone a year without getting the call, then I'm, you know, it's not like I got any younger over that year. You know, I'll be 40 next year. So they're definitely not going to call in the beginning of the season when someone's not performing or when someone's hurt. There's going to be a fresh crop of 22-year-olds coming out this year. And, you know, next year they'll have Joey Sly and other guys coming out next year. <laughs> so, you know, it's not like uh, it, it gets any easier and they're just like, oh, Shane Graham, yeah, he's available. No, Shane's 40. We don't know what he's got left. And let's just look at a young guy. Is that wearing the life as an an NFL kicker where you're kind of on the move all the time, but always seems like you're kicking for your job. I mean, I know you had the stretch with the Bengals for a while there, but I have to imagine that becomes a difficult life to sort of live out of your suitcase for a while. I tell you what it was, and and I won't complain. Uh, I'll never bellyache about that life because it was very exciting and it, and it, you know, it was adventurous. Um, 
you know, there's a lot of people that, that feel that they would love to have that and they would love to feel that just to know what it's like. And, you know, it was, I was very fortunate to even have, even the bad experiences uh, were still such a blessing to me because I got to do and play a sport for a living that children dream of. And, you know, as difficult as it was to maybe settle a personal life or, um, you know, just kind of sit in one place and stay there for a while, you know, it didn't quite work out that way for me. But, you know, I'll never complain about it, but it, it got tough. You know, it was hard to do. And, and when you literally, you know, you can't even buy a dog. I mean, let's be real. I wanted <laughs> to have a pet dog. But I'm like, well, if I have to leave, who's going to take care of it? And I can't just take it with me because then I can't, you know, all these factors come in. This I, I just wanted to have a dog. I mean, I mean, I'm kind of joking, but that, that that's an example of, of what type of things you just can't do. I think people look at NFL kickers and they see guys like Morton Anderson and Gary Anderson and, and still in the league now, Adam Vinatieri, Sebastian Janikowski, one of your contemporaries there. And they just sort of think the kickers automatically have these 15, 20 year careers, like routinely. Uh, it does not seem like that's really the case. How accomplished do you feel that you were even able to stick around for 15 years in the NFL? You know, it, it, you take it for granted to a degree because, you know, we, we all tend to do that with, with everything that, you know, goes on in our life. Uh, you know, personal relationships, our careers, we take it for granted because we have it every day and we experience it. But it's when you step away from it and look at it from the outside that you, that you really realize like, man, 15 years of my life and 17 years of chasing that dream. You know, my first year in, I didn't make it. And then my last year, I didn't get on a team. So really 17 years of my life was dedicated to this NFL career and you know uh, who would complain <laughs> about that and who would have ever thought you know when I was a kid I thought I want to play pro football when I grow up you know when I was in high school and you know when I was running stadium steps and throwing up at the top and going back down and let's do it again and uh you know in the weight room and kicking and kicking and kicking and you know, skipping my senior vacation where all my, my buddies went to the beach, I went and kicked and got ready to come to Tech and win the job. So, you know, I knew what it took to get me there, and I look back on it, and I, and I do feel accomplished for being able to do that. But, you know, everyone does seem to think, oh, well, you're a kicker. And, and even people now, they're like, oh, well, you're only 39. There's there's kickers that are, you know, Adam Benatari is 43 or 44, and, and Blanda made it till he was 50 or whatever. <laughs> and But what they don't realize, one, is Blanda played in an era where if you made four out of ten kicks, it was pretty good. You know, now you miss one out of ten and people are booing you. You know, like, oh, that's a chip shot. You can't miss that. You know, that's that's the expectations you have on kickers now is that, you know, 85, 90% is the, is the, the standard and you can't do less than that. Or you're, you're a bomb. You need to get out of here, you know, get rid of this guy. And, you know, for every guy now that's in their forties playing, you know, the, uh, Adam Vinatieri, uh, Phil Dawson, guys like that, they, 
they have longevity because they have loyalty with the team that they're with. If I, I just I don't see any of them, if they were in my position, you know, just teams aren't going to make a transition to a new guy that they don't know what amount of time is left. And then for every 40 year old you have that, you know, gets a career that long, you know, 15, 20 years, whatever it might be, there are a hundred guys who played one game or played two games or played less than a season or played one or two years and then never played again. But, you know, we, we just seem to see the guys that last such a long time and think, oh, well, well, kickers can go forever. Well, kickers can also go one game and that's it. And, and, and that's kind of how, you know, over my years, I made many of friends that were kickers around the league and guys that I trained with that maybe got to fill in a couple times, but then they never ended up playing ever again. So it's, it's, it's not quite, you know, the, the kickers can play forever. That, that, that fairy tale isn't quite as easy as a lot of people might think it is. Well, I'll get back to the NFL stuff in a second. I, I do want to go back to sort of where it started with you uh, here locally. Obviously, Virginia Tech, uh, you, you know, from Radford, played at Pulaski County High School, uh, went to Virginia Tech. Were the Hokies sort of a dream school for you during the recruiting process? Was that something you always kind of wanted to aspire to uh, when you were younger? You know, um, I, I spoke at a Roanoke Hokie Club meeting the other day, and the recruiting guys from Tech were there as well, talking about signing day. And they said they wished they had recorded what I had said about my decision to come to Tech. And well, he, here's and, the chance the we're recording why, this. Well, well, here's the chance. I, uh, you know, I, I was born in Radford. I, I, I lived my whole life in Pulaski County, and. You know, being from Pulaski, you know, Tech was the local school. And when recruiting started, you know, it's a little different now. They're they're offering kids in the eighth grade now. and Kids are committing their sophomore years. It didn't work that way back then. But, um, you know, I never saw myself going to Tech. Um, I, it wasn't that I didn't think Tech was good. It was that, you know, when, when you're growing up, sometimes – you think, oh, I want to go experience the world. I want to, I want to get away from home. I want to see what it's like somewhere else. And that was kind of the mentality that I had. And I was thinking, you know, I might go to Nebraska. I might go to Penn State. I might go to, um, you know, Notre Dame, wherever, you know. But when I started weighing all my options, I started looking at uh, several variables in this decision. One, I wanted to play as soon as I got to school. I didn't want to sit out a year. Two, what did they have educationally that I wanted? My, my plan back then was to become a uh, broadcaster. So I thought I'm going to play NFL football, and then I'm going to be a broadcaster. So in college, I want to learn about journalism and, and broadcasting. So tech, you know, wherever I'm going to go needs to have that going for them. And then the football program, outside of just playing early, I want it to be a contending team that is in the chase. And then I want to know what their emphasis on special teams. How do they deal with their kickers? Well, when I started laying the cards out and pros and cons and this and that, Virginia Tech just ended up 
every slot was filled. Every, every, every requirement that I was looking for, Virginia Tech had it. Coach Beamer spent his personal attention with the kickers. He loved special teams. That was his thing. Uh, a great journalism department, uh, communications department, and, and their staff. I, I met them and loved them. And then, you know, the, the position was open that I could compete to win the job as a true freshman. And they had just gone to the Sugar Bowl and were a top five team. So all of those things came out. But there was one more factor that played in. And that was just the sense of family that I found when I was around the, the coaches, the players, and everything about it. And I'll, you know, there are all these times when people think you regret that you didn't go to a team that won a national championship or a, or a team that was just, you know, on top of the world, a Florida State, uh, uh, you know, just the teams that back in the 90s were just the top teams. And I'll never regret it because, you know, we didn't win a national championship, but the bond that we had in chasing that championship that we almost got was something I'll never, ever, ever regret having because it's so special to me. And even if we didn't get to that point, it was special to me because, you know, I feel like in a town of, of Blacksburg where it's not a huge town, most of the population is the college campus. And it, it kind of draws you together to this sense of togetherness that, you know, for example, I lived in Cincinnati. I was playing there for years when they had the, the shooting on campus. And it touched me very deeply and emotionally that people in my family were involved in that. Now, did I personally know any of those people? I did not, but they were family. And, and it, you know, and it touched me very deeply. And I remember speaking at a memorial service in Cincinnati for the Virginia Tech Alumni Association and this huge packed church. And I, and I got up and spoke and like, I was in tears and I didn't know a single one of those people. And there were people outside of that circle that when they would talk to me and they saw how touched I was, they were like, well, you didn't even know anyone. Why, why is it such a big deal? And I was like, I don't know how to explain it. It's just, that was my family. So whoever came up with the phrase, this is home for Virginia Tech uh, was a genius because I think it really, <laughs> it really hits home when, when you say that, because it's true. Well, you certainly had some moments at Virginia Tech. I think none bigger than the kick at West Virginia. And uh, when you initially retired, uh, you know, I tweeted it out and people started just replying with me. It's like, I'll never forget where I was when that kick and then it kind of got me to thinking, I, I'm like, you know what, how about I just put this out there? How about people send me all their moments where they were? If I mean, it seems like this was sort of a, I was here when this happened moment for Virginia Tech. And I just got probably 40 tweets in response to that telling me this exact, like I was on the side of the road. My car was broken down. We were listening to the radio, all this sorts of stuff uh, about mm -hmm. that kick. I have to imagine that goes down in uh, your history of, of playing is one of the biggest kicks of your career, if not the biggest uh, what do you remember from that moment? A uh, pretty memorable game, I would imagine. Uh, yeah. I remember every single detail. Um, you know, I, I can remember everything from 
you know, how tight my waistband was on my belt, on my pants. I remember the smell in the air of tailgate cooking going on, the smoke over the top of the stadium from, from behind where they were, you know, grilling things. Um, the look on Coach Beamer's face as, as Captain Falls puts his arm around him and Coach Beamer looks like he just staved off a heart attack. Uh, and they're coming onto the field after we, you know, made the kick. Um, you know, things I said to Caleb before the play on the sideline with Corey Moore and, you know, just every single detail, I could probably write them out and and see it in my head exactly as if it were a, a, a TV show. And, you know, it, it was just cool because I've had such a, st- a strong memory of that moment. And it, and it probably was my biggest moment of my whole kicking career. Um, other things came close, but never quite touched at home as tight as that one did. But to hear everyone else's uh, at one time, especially, was a kind of a really cool feeling. And I think I may have even said something to you about that. Yeah. But, you know, ever since that happened, I've had that, you know, if I've been out at a restaurant in Blacksburg or Roanoke or, or somewhere locally, you know, I've had a lot of people say, man, I, I sure, you know, I remember that kick at West Virginia and, 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 and I get their story, but I get it every now and then. But to see all of them at once, that was that was kind of a cool thing. And I, uh, you know, that meant a lot to me to actually see that because you don't really realize what how special the moment really kind of was and how lasting it was until you just have so many people pouring it out all at once. Well, West Virginia had scored a couple times to take the lead. Uh, I think Michael Vick gets the ball with a minute 15 left or something like that and goes down the field. Yeah. What's going through your head leading up to that? Is Does everybody just kind of clear out on the sideline and not say anything to you at that point? Or, or what was that moment like? Uh, the first thing that happened when they scored and they were lining up for the kickoff is Corey Moore came up to me and said, where do we need to get the ball to? And I, you know, I told him, you know, at, at that time, that day, I felt comfortable in pregame and at halftime kicking from the 40 yard line. So snapping from the 40, which meant 57 yards and in. Um, and at that time, I just, that's where I felt comfortable with the wind direction and all that kind of stuff. He, uh, and he said, well, we're going to win this game and he walked away. And I don't know if he went to, you know, Mike Vick or went to somebody and said anything, but I, all I know is he came up to me, asked me, and that's the only person that said anything to me before that, really? before the kick. Uh, you know, besides that, when I was going onto the field, uh, Terrell Parham uh, was coming off the field. He, you know, he slapped my hand on the way off the field. And, you know, during the timeout, I think uh, Caleb and I, shifted a couple words back and forth. It wasn't really a full conversation, but we were laughing, you know, we were were laughing about an inside joke and it kind of just broke the ice, you know, broke the ice a little bit and broke the tension. And we didn't really have any reason to be scared. You know, my heart rate had gone down and it was, uh, you know, it was a fun moment and something I was told a long time ago by someone that had, you know, had a successful kicking career 
was when you have those moments, enjoy them in the moment and enjoy every step you take on the field, enjoy every you know moment of the performance and enjoy it when it's over because you know those are big moments that you're going to want to remember. So enjoy them. Don't be scared. Don't be nervous. Don't let your heart rate and your anxiety get the best of you. Just, just think about how lucky you are to even be in that position. And I think that's what made it such a, a great feeling that day, knowing I was a part of such a, a team that had just bonded so well. Our chemistry had worked out so well for that season that it just made sense that it all fell together. It seems like you make a kick like that on the road and the stadium would just go dead silent. Uh, I watched the kick you make uh, against uh, the Eagles in the playoffs with the Saints, and it just was dead silence. That was a, <laughs> a kick on the road, too. Do you remember the immediate aftermath in West Virginia? I mean, I'm sure there were Hokies fans there that were cheering, but I have to imagine that just sucked the life out of that stadium. Well, you know, that's, that's when people ask me, what is you love the most about kicking? Uh, outside of just finding a skill and trying to master it and perfect it and perform it is, it is, is fun in itself. But, but what really becomes cool is knowing that you have so much control and you have your hand in controlling people's emotions. So if you think about at one given moment in front of 65,000, 75, 85, however big stadiums are, you have a chance to make people, based on the color of their clothing, happy or sad. You are able to make people scream or be quiet. And that's what's pretty cool is if, if you know, everyone wearing blue and yellow that day was screaming and yelling and I had the control and the power at that moment to to basically make them drop their heads and get quiet. And then the 10,000, the 5,000, however many Hokie fans were in the stands. And I will say, it was a good bit. We, we traveled a good crowd to that game. Uh, you know, they, they erupted in the corner and all the West Virginia fans just went dead silent. But you just heard this faint uproar come from that corner and then it was like, it wasn't the loudest in the world, but yet it was the loudest in the world, if that makes any sense. Yeah. So it, it, it's cool to have that. It, it was very uh, rewarding to be able to have that feeling to do that. When you leave college and go to the NFL uh, undrafted, uh, and obviously that's the route that a lot of kickers go, uh, I'm going to see if mm-hmm. I can get this uh, sequence of teams correct here before you got to the Bengals. <laughs> you had a tryout with the Browns. Uh, you had a stint with the Richmond Speed in an offshoot of the Arena Football League. Uh, Saints in the yeah. preseason, Seahawks in the preseason, Bills in 2001, Seahawks training camp, Panthers, you replaced an injured John Casey for 11 games at one season. Then you wound up at the Bengals where you kind of found a home. Uh you yeah. know, that's a lot to go through before you, you find a, a routine gig and a stable job like that. Uh, did it enter your mind at any point? Hey, this might not happen, or is this going to be worth it to continue trying? Well, well, and actually it was 13 games with Carolina, but oh, only it? got on the field for, for 11. Okay. And, and that's because of, that's because of Michael Vick. <laughs> it's because the Atlanta, the Atlanta Falcons shut us out for both games. <laughs> oh, really? So I never even... I never even touched the field, so I basically stole two paychecks that year. 
But, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, when I first got released from training camp with the Saints my rookie year, um, I came back home. I, you know, I picked up a couple side jobs. You know, I, I worked, shoot, I, I worked in the, uh, the detail car wash department at Sheeler for several months. Uh, then I got to where I was working, like in the showroom, helping out some of the salesmen, uh, with just odds and ends. And then I moved to Northern Virginia and I lived with one of my kicking coaches, Fred Pensiero, and it was a substitute teacher and I was training and I had a lot of people that are like outside my circle that were saying, you know, well, you didn't make it. Why are you still wasting your time trying with this? And they just didn't see my, my goal and where I thought I could go. And it just, I, I, I would not quit. I would not quit. And finally, you know, even the next year I got in camp in Seattle, had a great camp, but the guy that I was competing against didn't give him a reason to get rid of him. So they let me go again. And then I'm back home and kind of, well, what do I do now? And, you know, it didn't work out until December of my second year, the December, the last month of the season, uh, was when Buffalo called me and it was kind of, you know, a dream come true to get my career actually started. But a lot of people were, you know, they would see me like, oh, we'd have figured you'd be playing in pro ball by now, you know, and, and, and they just didn't understand that. I'm still I'm still fighting for it, and, and and not everybody gets drafted and makes it right away. So I just had to believe in myself and believe in the dream, and uh, you know it, it paid off. You were with the Bengals for seven years, uh, most accurate kicker in team history. Had a, a Pro Bowl season there. Uh, I think I read something uh, you said after you retired that you, you sort of regret that you didn't realize how good you had it when you were there uh just kind of curious yeah. your thoughts about your time in cincinnati and i guess you would look back at that as probably the best years of your nfl life oh yeah for sure uh you know the main reason i, I think i let the money uh brainwash me a little bit and i hate to use the word greedy but i started believing that what i was being told that my stats were this, so I should be getting paid this. And I let that play too much into the factor of when I re-sign a new contract, do I want this much? Or, and, and I just, I let it brainwash me. And, and what, what wasn't, it's hard to explain. I regret the fact that I let that happen because the value of what I had there, no other team could have offered enough money to really equal what I had in Cincinnati. So I should have known that and and just not gone that way and not thought that I needed to go somewhere else and get my worth, my contract worth, where, where I had a family in Cincinnati of a community that I was the spokesman or the, or the chairperson or on the board of directors for so many different charities. And I made so many friends through those charities and, you know, 
friends in hospitals and children's hospitals and and just working with all these different foundations um it it gave me a a much stronger sense of who I was but yet I still made the mistake of thinking that getting my next contract it needed to be you know x x plus five or x plus three or whatever you know became a math equation instead of a life equation and you know i think that you know ever since i left cincinnati i basically played musical goalposts i mean it was like when the music stops find a goalpost and if there's only 32 of them and there's 55 players out there trying to sit in 32 different chairs you know there's going to be a time or two when you're not going to get a chair no matter how good you are every now and then the timing is just not going to be there so you know i i shifted i lived out of suitcases i I drove i flew i was here i was there uh i was training when i wasn't on a team and then i'm here on this team and then they're looking for a younger guy, so I'm not on that team after the season. Or this guy that I was filling in for is healthy, who was hurt, so now he's back. So now I'm on the street again, looking for another team, and it and it just was all over the place. When I could have just signed a a contract that, yeah, maybe it wasn't as much as the market called for my stats to have been paid, but it was also way more than I really deserved because, you know, I I honestly feel like as pro athletes, what we do isn't as important as a lot of jobs out there. And, you know, I just, I lost sight of that. And I, and I regret that. And I probably beat myself up over it all the time, but, you know, I I still gained a lot of experience and, and a lot of adventures, you know, traveling around playing for teams. And, you know, I've, I've got a collection of helmets that, you know, of a lot of teams. So that looks cool, but you know, I would have liked for it to have just stayed one team for a long time. That probably fills up a garage with the number of helmets that you have right now. <laughs> you talk, you talk about the roulette. Here's the after Cincinnati. Uh, these are just teams you actually kicked for in games, not tryouts or anything like that. The Patriots, Giants, yeah. Ravens, Dolphins, Texans, Saints, and Falcons uh, twice for a full season uh, among those teams. Uh you got to 2015. I want to talk about that just briefly. Uh, I read the story Mark Berman wrote on you a couple years ago. Uh, didn't have any kind of tryout in the preseason, it sounds like. Um, I know you lost your dad that year, and he was very influential in your career and your life, obviously. And you get a tryout with Atlanta two days later. Uh, I was curious just, uh, you know, how emotionally tough was that? And, uh, you know, to actually get the job with Atlanta, then how rewarding was that given all that was going in, on in your life? So really Atlanta calls me the day after my father passes away. My, my sister and I are driving in my truck, uh, leaving the funeral home to go back to my dad's house to you know, go through some stuff and try to, you know, put some displays together for the, for the viewing. And, 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 you know, it was, it hit us hard, but we saw it coming because he had been sick and and, and down in the hospital for a while. And so we, we expected it to come when it happened, but yet, you know, it's still very deep in our emotions, you know, painful for us. And to this day, it still is for me, 
But I got a call from my agent, and I thought that he was calling to just give me his condolences. Well, he does, and then after that, he says, hey, I know this is bad timing, but Atlanta just called, and Matt Bryant just you know, hurt his, his leg, and he's not able to play. Uh, they want to bring you in and give you a workout. Uh, would you be able to do that? Well, the, my sister, the phone's on speaker, my sister's in the car, and, and we both get this blank look because we're like, well, what do I do? You know, the funeral's tomorrow or, or, or Friday. So what do I do? I can't miss that. And then I said, you know, will you ask them that if they, if they sign me, will they let me fly home for the funeral? And he calls me back in 30 seconds and says, absolutely, they'll, they'll, that's not a problem. So I knew at that point that, you know, some of the last words my dad said to me were, hey, have you been getting your videos out? Have you been training? Did you go kick? And while my dad was in the hospital, in the hospice in uh, Salisbury, uh, North Carolina, I, uh, I was going over to Catawba College and kicking over there, you know, in my spare time, hoping that, you know, he wouldn't pass while I was there. And then I would come back and, you know, he, he knew how much it meant to me, but it meant a lot to him too, because, you know, that was a dream that, you know, he had with me. And, and I don't think it was something he ever pushed or, you know, lived vicariously through me to do, but he knew how much I had worked and how much it meant to me. So that was some of the things he asked was, you know, are you training? Are you getting your videos out or coach? Or is anyone calling? And to get that call right after that, it was, it was very strong emotionally. And then when I won the workout, I, I went, I had a great workout. Uh, the guy that I competed against actually, you know, gave me a hug afterwards. He saw I was crying. He saw how emotional I was. And, and the guy was a good friend of mine uh, that I had known over the years, uh, understood what I was going through. And then, I had to go get in the locker room, get fitted for my gear, and they, you know, I have to practice on Thanksgiving Day with them, and the head coach comes in and sits beside me and has a very emotional friend-to-friend, heart-to-heart talk. To be honest, I didn't even know he was the head coach. I thought he was just somebody that was talking to me, and, you know, he he didn't have that presence. A lot of times you have that intimidating you know, the room goes quiet when they walk in type presence. And he just sat down and talked to me like we had been friends for years and then told me that the team was going to fly me back home and uh, go to the funeral and don't worry about missing Friday's practice. Just come back and, you know, get things taken care of. And, you know, playing out that season, I had a, had a good season with them. Uh, it meant a lot because I thought a lot about what my dad would say to me and what he said to motivate me and what he said to get me through bad times and what he said to get me where I was positive and and, and confident and yeah it meant a lot well now that you've uh hung him up I mean what, what are your plans in the future I mean other than getting a dog it sounds like you wanted to get a dog <laughs> <laughs> at some point. Uh, I, I think I read that you wanted to be try to get into special teams coaching somewhere. Yeah. And, uh, you know, 
you spend 17 years and four years in college uh, where your college coach put a big emphasis on it. You spend 17 years going to meetings. And I never just went just to field goal and just to kickoff. I went to punt return, punt, kickoff return, kickoff, uh, you know, all the phases of special teams. Uh, and I learned a lot. And I learned a lot from a lot of coaches. And, you know, you, I've got notebooks just full of notes. And, you know, I would teach the, the rookies that came in when I'm in my 30s or upper 20s and 30s and late 30s. Uh, you know, I, I learned the techniques and the fundamentals of all the different positions across all the phases of special teams play. And, you know, there'd be rookies that were used to being the star receiver or the star cornerback or the star linebacker from high school through college. And now they're at the bottom of the totem pole and they're special teams guys. And they've never really played that role before. So the techniques and fundamentals are new to them. So I would spend time with some of those guys. And, you know, I I actually helped, uh, you know, Friday meetings in Cincinnati, I would run a, a players only meeting, uh, on, you know, with film and, you know, I'd quiz guys and, you know, just having that experience and knowing the phases, uh, made me feel like, oh, I want to have passion with what I do in my, you know, my rest of my life. And this is something that I have the most experience in, you know, do I want to go start a small business? Do I want to buy into an investment into a business? You know, that, that those things would be great, but would I really have a passion for it? And I'm so competitive. Would I really find that competitive edge? And really coaching, I think, is the only thing that will do that for me. And, you know, I don't just want to coach kicking. I want to coach football. So I think it's going to be a natural fit. You know, I, I can't really talk right now about where that might be because nothing is, is – quite figured out yet i i do have some 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 situations that could work out i have some that have already been offered to me but uh i i'm going to play that out and make sure my options and my decision is is not hastily done so uh i will be coaching before too long it's just a matter of uh figuring that out well, I had some questions here that kind of didn't fit in any kind of box or any kind of uh, <laughs> rhythm of the interview. So I just wanted to ask them sort of quick hitter style here. I was curious what your thoughts are on the, the longer extra point in the NFL. I know that probably kickers have a strong feeling about that. Do you think that's a good thing that they, they moved that back and made it a little more challenging? You know, at first I was kind of like, if it's not brute, don't fix it. Uh, that's how I felt because – you know, that they, they wanted to make the game more exciting for fans. Well, from everything I remember, you know, the reason that, you know, you've got a Tom Brady that make, makes $20 million a year, or you've got a, you know, a rookie that barely plays that's making, you know, several hundred thousand, that kind of money that comes in comes from TV contracts and comes from fans that continually watch the game. And, you know, more and more people watch it all the time. And it's the most popular televised sport in America. I was like, well, fans obviously love the game. They wouldn't watch. 
So how, how can it be broken? So why go through all this and fix it? Well, then the last couple of years you start seeing, you know, when, when teams score a touchdown, people go to the bathroom, people go, you know, fix a drink or, you know, refill their plate with food or whatever, if they're at home. And if they're at the game, half the time, that's when they run up to the concession stand real quick <laughs> because the extra point had just become such a mundane given fact that they didn't need to watch it. So it, it actually did make the game a little more exciting. You know, how many times do you, you know, hear announcers, you know, actually get excited over an extra point being missed where they actually raise their voice a little bit because they're just not used to seeing it. And then all of a sudden you start seeing teams that could win a game. All of a sudden the game's got to go to overtime because it's a tie because, you know, one of those points snuck away from them or, you know, it's windy and cold and snowy and, you know, 35 yards might be the brink of how far you can even kick because the wind is so strong or the snow or whatever. And, and these, these extra points became basically a field goal. And the mentality of an extra point used to be, I, I hope I can get a couple PATs to kind of warm me up and get me, get me into the flow of the game. Well, now it's like that first PAT can be the most important point of the game. And you're at 33 yards now. And, you know, you don't have quite the same margin of error as you did. So the focus got narrowed so much that, you know, you start seeing some guys missing here and there and it really, you know, made it that much more important to make those kicks and fans were so used to seeing extra points made hundred percent that even fans didn't understand. They're like, Oh, he'd missed an extra point. This guy's horrible. You don't miss those. Those are chip shots. Those are gimmies. No, there's no such thing as a gimme. There's no such thing as a chip shot. You have to focus on a 50 yarder, on a 25-yarder, you have to focus the same. You've got to hit the ball well, and, you know, it's just something that you have to just perform and focus, and that backing it up a little bit just made it that much tougher. So I think it, I think it got what they needed. They made the game more exciting, and it worked. So I guess shame on me for <laughs> second-guessing them. <laughs> what is the uh, toughest place in the NFL to kick? Was there a stadium that you just – had a tough time in or that was difficult circumstances with the, the setup or anything like that? Well, you know, I would say the, the one place I always felt the least confident at was, was Heinz field in Pittsburgh. And I always did really well there. That was the thing. I, I never felt like a lot of times when I kicked, uh, whether it was in pregame or, or during the game, I always felt like, you know, I'm going to make every kick I make. I, there's, there's no reason I'm going to miss. And you know that sometimes you do, but you still have to have that confidence that every time you line up, you're going to, you're going to make it. I tell you what, it was in, in Heinz Field where sometimes I would line up and I'm like, man, the wind's blowing in my face to the right. So I've got to aim to the left a little bit and I've got to stroke it solid to get it through the wind. You know, it, it puts these thoughts in your head that take you a little bit out of your routine and it creates that little bit of doubt in your mind. And that's like your worst enemy is to have any doubt. 
But luckily I was able to, you know, my percentages in that stadium, I think I played there 11 or 12 times in my career. And I think a 50, a 51 yarder and a 40, a 40 something yarder were the only kicks I ever missed. I think I made about 11 or 12 or 13 and maybe I missed two in that stadium. So it wasn't too bad, but, uh, Another one was Candlestick in San Francisco, and I think they got rid of that place, but the wind in that place was always 30 miles an hour or more, it seemed. And because the stadium was a baseball and uh, football stadium when it was built, it has a non-symmetrical shape. And then it had this lip around the top of it that kind of just covered a little bit of the bleachers at the top it would catch the wind and it would swirl it in such a non-symmetrical pattern that it was impossible to predict the pattern of the wind from one kick to the next, it would be different. And most stadiums, the wind is typically, you know, it swirls, but it's consistent. You know, uh, it just wasn't like that there. And you almost would just like, I don't know where it's going to go. I'm just going to kick it down the middle and hope it stays. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'll close it with this one. You've been very uh, gracious with your time, and I appreciate that here. Uh, You were Virginia Tech's all-time leading scorer. Uh, 371 points, 68 field goals, also a school record. Uh, Joey Sly has 321 career points, 63 career field goals. Uh, Even a so-so season, given the kind of points that Virginia Tech has been scoring, it looks like he'll probably break those records, barring any kind of injury. Uh, What are your thoughts on that? How, How well do you know Joey? Uh, have you been around him much at all here in Blacksburg? Yeah, Joey is a great guy. I mean, I, uh, you know, I've known him for a couple of years. Uh, you know, we've gotten together and kicked together, and I, I, I would talk to him all the time and his family. Um, he's, he's got an, um, he's so strong, and you know, he, he's going to break that threshold of kicking that fifty-yard field goal. He's going to do it. I know he hasn't yet, but, uh, you know, strength is definitely not an issue. Um, I think he's going to be able to do that. And as far as the records, I mean, records are made to be broken. Um, You know, I got that record. I think I first became the leading scorer the last game of my junior season. Um, But, you know, it was a little different back then because we played 11 regular season games. And that was it. We didn't, you know, we, we played 11 and that's it. And then bowl games didn't count. Oh, that's bowl right. Didn't yeah. Count for stats. So, you know, I, I joke with Joey about this because I, I don't, I don't want to take away from the fact that the record will be his, but I think I played 44 games. That's all that really counted towards my scoring record. And I think he's already played 40 or 39 in, in three years. <laughs> because they've played 14 or 15 games every year. I'm not right. sure exactly and what eight, the total they got is. conference title games and stuff like that too. Conference, you know, there's 13 regular season or what, 12 or 13 regular season games now? 12 regular season, possibility not, of a title game plus a bowl game. So 14, I mean, if you're in the playoffs, you can play 16 games conceivably. Yeah. So, you know, 15, I, I give I him a hard time. I give him a hard time because I'm like, yeah, you know, we, we weren't, you know, bowl games. All the field goals I kicked in bowl games didn't count. And, you know, you guys get the, you know, 13, 14 games. So, you know, it's cool, whatever. It's cool. But, you know, enjoy the record with an asterisk on it. But, 
it's a it's a joke. It's a joke because you know he's had games where he's kicked five field goals. I think he had five or five or six field goals in one game. I don't remember what it was. Um, I don't remember what game it was, but I know. I think Notre Dame he had well. five or six. Yeah, he has done very well, I and mean, he will do very well this year. And he will he'll score over four hundred points, so he won't make it close. So it won't be anything. Even if I were to joke with him about that, you know, playing more games, he's not going to make it close. So it'll be his, and it'll be something that he can be proud of, and and I'll be proud of because he he's such a good kid. I mean, he he reaches out to the community. Uh, he's kind of like one of the ambassadors on the team for that. And, you know, we actually, I went to him to partner up when I, I did this shopping thing uh, locally at a Target for Christmas for, for, for some kids in the area that, you know, that could use some help during Christmas, especially. Um, he helped me get together a bunch of guys on the team and they got to walk around with the kids and, you know, see a part of, you know, giving back to the community. And, you know, I think that says a lot about him and even the other guys on the team that they were willing to do that, especially during their break. They were allowed to go home for Christmas before the bowl game. So, you know, the fact that those guys stayed to do that meant a lot to me and meant a lot to the community. So I think that speaks very highly of them. All right. Well, Shane, I want to thank you for coming on the podcast here. This has been a, a great interview. I think Hokies fans will enjoy this uh, lengthy insight. I know Virginia Tech plays West Virginia in the season opener next year. Are you going to try to get to that one and stand on the sideline and maybe give the Hokies some, some good uh, luck on the sideline there? Well, I would love to, but I have a feeling I might be on a, a, a sideline somewhere else. Ah, that always so, makes it tough, we'll, doesn't we'll, it? <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. You know, that's, this past year, I went to more games than I've been to since my senior year of playing here because I wasn't on a team, so I had the time to do it. Uh, you know, before it would be like one game every three years, maybe, if I got to come back to a game. And, you know, once I'm coaching somewhere, you know, I'm sure the day might come that maybe I could be across the field. I think that might be weird if that would ever <laughs> happen, but. You know, that's something you ha I have to accept as a possibility. Um, you know, Tech, Tech did not have the spot open to, to have me be a coach there. So, you know, wherever I may end up, you know, there's a possibility one day I could be across the field. And, uh, you know, who knows, maybe I'll be coaching in the NFL before too long. Well, there you go. Well, that uh, should wrap it up here. Again, I want to thank you for coming on the, the podcast. For Shane Graham, this is Andy Bitter, the Roanoke Times. We'll talk to you next week.